it's good to be with you all in the Lord's house, celebrating the Lord's resurrection. And of course, as we said um, a couple weeks ago, every Sunday is really a celebration of the Lord's resurrection because every uh, uh, Sunday is when Christ arose. We heard about that just a moment ago. But there's something special about coming together on what we call Easter. Now today we're going to look at a text that is not, not typically what you think of as an Easter text. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the uh, Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bible, please turn there if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 17 in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, the text will be up on the screen in just a moment. Now, where we pick up in the text today is right at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And the church in Corinth was messed up. If you're not familiar with the church of Corinth, uh, let me tell you, they had all kinds of problems going on. They were, they were like a big dysfunctional family. I mean, about everything you could think of that was wrong, uh, could be wrong with the church, they had it going on. There was bickering fighting and factions and cliques. Their church services were a bit of a disaster. Everybody was wanting to talk out at once and, and act like they were super spiritual. They wanted to get attention. They wanted people to think that they were uh, that they were something that they were not. There was immorality in their midst. They had all kinds of problems. And one of the problems that Paul addressed in his letter is what we're going to look at today, uh, or we're going to jump into the midst of his conversation with them, is, and this seems strange to us in our context, but there were people in the church who were... Uh, separating themselves into groups based on who their favorite preacher was. And so some of the people in the church said, I'm with, uh, I follow Apollos. He was a very eloquent man. He was, he was mighty in the scriptures and, and things like that. And so some of them said, I'm, I'm part of Apollos' group. And others said, well, I'm with Paul. And others said, I'm with, I'm with Peter. Your Bible may call him Cephas. And then others, they were super spiritual. They said, well, we're not following any of them. We're the Jesus party. I'm just following Jesus and that's it. But they were just as bad as the rest of them were. And so it was just a big, big mess. And so Paul is correcting them and he's pointing out that the issue is not the messenger. The issue is not who do you like to listen to the most. The issue is the message. And the message is the gospel. He says that I, my, my main job, he said, wasn't to baptize people. My main job was to preach the gospel. And the, and the gospel is the biggest thing. He said that the gospel should be framing your worldview. That's the thing that all of you should be coming together around. That should be the point of unity. And in the course of talking about this, Paul begins to, he, he tells us some things about the gospel, and that's what we're going to look at. And the point of the sermon is this. We as believers have no reason to be ashamed for believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because that is the power of God unto salvation. I know that you just got to sit down, but if you can and you would, would you please uh, stand to honor God's word? We're going to uh, pick up in verse 17 and just read a couple of verses. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see in our text today is that the gospel has a power all its own. The gospel has a power all its own. Look again at verse 17. And, and as we read through the text, and, and as it's up on the screen now, you might just look through there, and, and you'll hopefully notice that Paul uses three words or three terms that basically they, they talk about roughly the same thing. In verse 17, he's, he talks about the gospel, and then later on in verse 17. He uses the terminology of the cross, and then in verse 18, the word of the cross. 
So this passage is all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel. But what is the gospel? You know, many times we come to church and we think, well, uh, we, we hear the word gospel a lot, but if, if I were to press you, if I, if I were just to call on you and have you come up and stand and tell everybody here, what's the gospel? That'd probably terrify you, right, to get in front of people. But I wonder, even just, just sit there and think, what would you say is the gospel? What is the gospel? Good news of Jesus Christ, okay. And that's, that's a great definition. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't know how I would define the gospel. I mean, the word gospel means the good news. And maybe you think, I'm not sure what I would say. And if that's you, uh, you, you shouldn't feel too alone. I recently heard a seminary professor, uh, was late, Dr. R.C. Sproul, and he said that he would ask people going into the ministry that came into his seminary class, okay, so these are ministers of the gospel, and he would say, what is the gospel? And they couldn't tell him. And if you have, uh, they used to say when I was going to, to, to school, mist in the pulpit, fog in the pews, if the guys up, up front behind the pulpit couldn't tell you what the gospel is, it wouldn't be a surprise if, if uh, those in the pew couldn't tell you what the gospel is. Thankfully, though, Paul clears it all up for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, Paul gives us a definition of what the gospel is. He says, now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also you received, and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So here's the gospel. Here's his definition of it. It says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. Now that is a very compact definition of the gospel. Let's expand that. What does it mean when it says that Christ died for your sins? Well, first it means that you're a sinner. That means that you do not live up to God's standards. You have fallen short. You missed the mark both by nature, the Bible says, in Adam all of us fell, but also in act. I once talked to a man. I used to work with him. He said, and this was out of the blue, this is back when I was in college. He began to ask me, it doesn't seem fair that we would be punished for Adam's sin. Listen, you've got enough stuff going on of your own besides what's going on with Adam, right? I mean, we miss the mark. We fail in our lives. Later, and this is, well, uh, never mind, never mind, no. So, uh, think about your own life. You lie. Not one of us here goes a whole year without lying. And I'm, I'm talking about, you can call it a little white lie, you can call it a, a big whopper, you can call it what you want. A lie is a lie. You bear false witness. You get angry and kill others in your heart. You lust. And apart from Christ, you're in rebellion against God. You say, I'm not in rebellion against God. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, listen, let me ask you this question. Have you repented? Have you, have you sought God for forgiveness? And I don't mean not like you go out and, and you do something and say, oh, sorry, God. And then, uh, I mean real repentance where you come to him in repentance and faith and ask him to make you right with him. Have you ever done that? You say, well, no, I've never done that. Well, the Bible says that God commands all people everywhere to repent. If you refuse to do that, guess what that's called? That's rebellion. You're in rebellion against God. 
you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're not critically ill. It's not like you have some, some little uh, flicker of life in you that you can just uh, hopefully just uh, get enough flame going that you can do your own thing. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And because of that deadness, you are powerless to make yourself right with the holy God. You have wronged him with your sin. But the Bible says that God has demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gospel. The second member of the Trinity, the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, emptied himself. He took on the form of a man. He, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He died to bring eternal life to us. And on the cross, the Bible says the Father laid our iniquities, our transgressions, our sins on Christ. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. The Bible says that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And on the cross, the Father poured out his wrath of, uh, on sin on Jesus instead of on us. Jesus was our sin bearer. He took our place. He drank the cup of suffering to the end. All that was to, fu to fulfill the scriptures. We looked at this last week at Isaiah 53. They took Jesus down from the cross. They buried him, but praise God, he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again. I love what the angel said. He says, I know you're looking for, for Jesus. And if you, I, I think if he would have been from Missouri, he may have said something like, why are you all doing that? That, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. You're looking for the living one among the dead. He's, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place. And again, death couldn't stop him and the grave couldn't hold him. All to fulfill the scriptures. The Bible goes on to say that, that, that if we will call on the name of the Lord, if we will turn to him in repentance and faith, if we'll trust in him alone for salvation, we will be saved. And if you will lay down your arms against King Jesus... And bow your knee to him, he will forgive your sins. He'll wash you whiter than snow. The Bible talks about he'll take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He'll reconcile you to himself and adopt you into his family. That's the gospel. That is what Paul said his main job is. That is what he was preaching. And it's that last part of Christ's work that we're celebrating today. Christ is not dead. He has risen. And Paul said, I didn't come to baptize I came to preach the gospel. And when I preached it, look what he says in verse 17. I didn't use clever words, fancy oratory techniques. Otherwise, somebody might have thought, well, this changed life, this, this happened. And that's because Paul was such a, he, he was so good at rhetoric. He, he, he really knew how to stir up a crowd. Haven't you ever listened to somebody like that? I mean, they knew how to work a crowd. And they could stir, stir people up. You walked away from hearing them and you thought, wow, I'm fired up. That's not what Paul said. He said, I came to you, it wasn't, with, it wasn't with a demonstration of powerful words and things like that. I just came to you with a simple gospel message. And the gospel has a power all its own. It will change your life. Now, once you see that this gospel, even though it's life-changing, even though it will transform you, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, if all that stuff that I went through a moment ago about what the gospel was, about God becoming a man, dying on the cross to save people from their sins, if you, if you heard that, and rather than have amen come to your mind, you wanted to roll your eyes, you need to pay special attention. Because as you know, this is what is commonly called April Fool's Day. 
And I think that's appropriate because the message of the cross, the gospel, which includes the resurrection, is foolishness to those who are perishing. And no doubt there are people across this country who are scoffing today at you and me. And others like us because they think it's foolish that we would come and worship and praise and sing to and sing about this man, this son of God who died on the cross. We, we say he rose from the dead and they say that's foolish. The, the, the Greek word that's used that's translated as foolish, it means moronic. They, they look at us and they say, what a bunch of morons. That is foolish. It's offensive. So why is this so foolish to those who are perishing? Well, I think a big reason is because they have a wrong idea about their own goodness. People have a wrong idea about their own goodness. What I mean is the Bible says that we're all sinners. That means me and that means you. But people don't accept that idea, especially in today's world. Have you ever noticed that it's hard to find somebody that even acknowledges that there is such a thing as sin? I mean, used to. You, you heard about sin. But, but today people think that language is outdated. And, and, and things that we used to call sin is not considered sin anymore. Used to. We, I mean, we, we used to call it fornication. Now it's called premarital sex. It used to. It was adultery. Now it's an affair. Used to. It was covetousness and greed. Now it's just trying to get ahead. Now nobody's responsible for anything. It's always a disease or a condition or a syndrome. And I sometimes wonder what happened to sin. But friends, sin is sin no matter what label you put on it. You can, you can call it what you want, but it's still sin in God's eyes. And until people recognize they are sinners, they won't think they need a savior because they don't have anything to be saved from, they think. Other people have a wrong idea about uh, about this, the sinfulness of sin. Now, those of us who are believers, if you think back, it, for some of us it may have been a long time ago, for some of us it may have just been a short time, but you think back to when God began to convict you of your sin. You got a little glimpse of how sinful your sin is. And even those of us who are believers, we don't, we don't understand the full gravity of the wickedness of our sin. But going back to what I just said, folks today, many of them don't see what they're doing as sinful, and if they do, well, it's, they think it's not that bad. But listen, sin is rank, rebellion, and hatred to God. It is wronging Almighty God. Still others think that it's all foolish because they don't believe that God is a God of justice. Well, they say, well, God's all, God is love. Sometimes I, I don't know why I do it. I'm a glutton for punishment, I guess. But I'll be online, and there will be something that's said that relates to the Christian faith in some way. And, and some statement will be made about the justice of God, the holiness of God. And people will inevitably say, well, that's not the God that I serve. That's not the God that I worship, and I think you're probably right. That may not be the God that you worship, but that's the God of the Bible. And yes, he is a God of love, but he is also a God of justice. And he's not some old grandpa figure up in the sky who doesn't really care how people are going to act. Now, those of you who are grandparents, I love you. 
but you're a killer from the grandkids. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they come over and they, you just give them whatever they want. And they can act any way they want. And you just, okay, and you send them on home and smile to yourself because now your kids have to deal with their kids. And you think, well, that's, I had to go through it. You get it too, right? <laughs> Am I telling the truth? And we, a lot of people think that's the way God is. Well, he'll just be... He'll just give us what we want. He'll wink at our indiscretions, we, we call them. And, and we think that he doesn't have any standards for holiness or anything else. But he is a God of justice, and we see the justice of God. And his hatred of sin and his wrath against sin at the cross, where he poured out that wrath on Jesus. His wrath was on display against our sins. And you say, well, Pastor, he's... He loves people too much to send them to hell. He'll not condemn anyone. Listen, if you can get to heaven by any other way but Jesus, the cross was the blunder of eternity. And the resurrection itself is something that people especially object to. For hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of thousands, from the very first Easter, people have been coming up with all kinds of stories to explain the resurrection besides the truth. Now, I want you to think about this. It, it, maybe, I don't know your hearts. Maybe you're here and, and you're a, a believer. Your faith's kind of wavering. Maybe, maybe you're like, I don't really have time for all this. I, I got drug here. Well, I don't know why you're here. I don't know your heart. But if you're skeptical about this, I just want you to consider one thing. The one thing that has never been disputed even by Jesus' enemies that had access to the tomb, the one thing that's never been disputed was the fact that the tomb's empty. How'd he get that way? I want you to think about that. And, and some of these ideas that people come up with, oh, Jesus didn't die on the cross, he just swooned. Right, he, he, was, he was beaten and scourged and nailed to a cross. And this expert in death, the centurion that was there, he was convinced he was dead. They... They, they stuck a spear up in his side. Blood and water came out. They punctured the, the, the sack around the heart. He was, yeah, okay. Uh, he, he, just, he just swooned. Then they put him in this cold grave, and, and Jesus somehow revived. And he had this man who was beaten and weak, had hand, holes in his hands and feet. Well, he just rolled that stone away all by himself. It took many men to, to put it in place. He did it all by himself. And then, even though there were these guards out there, armed military men, he hobbled out there on hands and feet with holes in him after he's been beaten and crucified, and he overpowered all these Roman guards. And then he went to the disciples, even though they were hiding out. Somehow he found them. He wasn't noticed in the city. He found them and said, I rose from the dead, guys. Celebrate. Worship me. That is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. And that's the kind of stuff that they come up with. Instead of believing what the, the Bible says, Jesus had the power to lay down his life and take it up again, and that's what he did. He was, it was prophesied that he was going to be turned over into the hands of sinful men, that he was going to die, and that he was going to rise again, and that's exactly what he did. That is what the gospel is. And to say, oh, well, it, it was some other, oh, these, these disciples, they, they came and sold his body. Baloney, they were, they were scared, they were off hiding. And anyway, you think a bunch of fishermen, I mean, Peter was the, was the gutsiest one. He couldn't even cut a guy's head off, he got his ear instead. That these band of misfits are going to overpower these guards. 
And then get Jesus out, roll the stone away, get Jesus out, see this dead Savior, and say, everybody come follow, follow him, he can bring you life. Ridiculous. And this is the kind of stuff that people come up with. Jesus rose from the dead, just like he said he was going to do. And a lot of times, and this is, this is, I think, one of the biggest reasons people say this is foolish is because, frankly, they've exalted their own reason and their own ideas and their own opinions above the ultimate authority, which is the Word of God. They don't believe the gospel message because they run everything through a grid of their own thoughts and desires. They want to sit as judge over God and determine what he would and would not do and how he could and could not act and what he would do with mankind. But God is judge and not you and not me. And one day, we're going to stand before him. He's not standing before us. And God and his word are the authority, not me, and not you, not anybody else. That is foolishness to them that are perishing. Them that have the characteristics of those who perish. In other words, the wicked. But, look at verse 18. But, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When God draws you, when he convicts you of your sin in, in humble repentance and faith, if you'll cast yourself on him and his mercy, if you'll trust in Christ alone for, and his finished work on the cross on your behalf, you will be saved. You'll find out that, that, that the gospel, this message of the cross that the world says is foolish, that is what God uses to transform a life. That is what God uses through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring dead men to life. It is powerful because God uses it. And he can use the gospel to transform your life today. Understand Christ didn't die to make you a better mom or a better dad. He didn't die to make you a better student, a better son or daughter to your parents. Jesus didn't go to the cross to fix your marriage, to fix your finances. He died so that those who believe will have eternal life. He died so that the one who trusts in him will have their sins forgiven. Jesus died to make those who were once dead in trespasses and sin alive to God. And what will your response be to that message today? Because we all make a response. Back when I was growing up, they used to talk about having a, re a revival, an evangelistic service. They said there were a hundred people there we had five decisions. Wrong, you had a hundred decisions. You had a hundred responses. What is your response to the gospel going to be? If you've never done so, I call on you to repent and to trust in the Lord. Because apart from Christ, you're spiritually dead, you're estranged from God, and you stand, con you stand condemned, headed to hell. That's where we all are apart from Christ. That's where I was before God got a hold of me. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But if you'll repent, you'll find forgiveness. Christ will not turn you away. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
gospel is the good news. As we sang about earlier, God became a man. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died a substitutionary death. That's a great big word that means he took your place. Father poured out his wrath for sin on his son. He paid, the, he paid the penalty. He paid the cost. The question is, will you put your faith in him? Will you repent of that sin? Will you respond in faith? Say, Pastor, I don't know how to do it. When you wrong somebody on earth, what do you do? Tell them you're sorry, what you did wrong. And turn from that way of doing things, that way of life. That's, that's really what you do when you get saved. You confess your sin to God. You're, there's, there's contrition. You're sad. You're remorseful. You ask God to forgive you. have a change of heart and a change of mind about about what those things that once had a draw to you you recognize them for the sinful things they are you turn your back on them turn to God in faith I'd love to talk to you after the service about that I'd love to share some scripture with you For those of us who are believers, we've done all those things. Christ is alive. And yet we come and sometimes we sing and we act like we're going to a funeral. No. Christ isn't dead. He's alive. Praise Him for that. Even even just in in the silence of this time, just to lift up a grateful heart to him. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful for the gospel that has the power to transform lives, not because of clever speech, not because of of, uh, fancy language, smooth delivery, all the all the smells and bells that sometimes we associate with with uh, uh, different uh, services of some sort or another. But it has the power to change a person's heart because you have chosen to use the weak things of the world like a spoken word, simply delivered, imperfectly delivered, imperfectly heard. God, I ask that you would draw each of us today closer to yourself. And if there's somebody who's never repented of their sin, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. We thank you for your work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.